Most of you haven't really known me for very long. Well, I guess in March it'll be about five years that I met a good portion of you. I generally don't think of myself as um, an alarmist, as the sky is falling. I tend to be a little slower to react in those types of areas. But I really have to say over the last few years I've grown very, very concerned about the direction of our country and our culture and just on a wider scale of the world. And I don't want to spend a great deal of time going over that, and I'm certainly not going to stand here and claim that everything's coming to an end, but we really have some challenges set before us. Within the last two years, and it's just, just one, one thing, and I'll be quick about it, and I know it may sound a little political, I hope it's not, but in the last two years, we've seen a couple of things happen that have been very disturbing to me. One of which is, um, in in very real time, we changed the definition of what a vaccine was three times in the dictionary. That was interesting. Uh, Trump, I believe he was still president, gave a speech about something people didn't like. And within a couple hours of using a term correctly, we again changed the dictionary to then make him look like an idiot and make him look like he was anti-something when he wasn't. And just recently, we've changed the definition in the dictionary of what a woman is. Now, we can't continue that way for very long and expect to continue to have the same results we've had for the last 100, 200 years. And it's very disturbing. I noted the three hymns that we sung this morning, all of which were written by people who lived or were born in 18-something. The death wasn't indicated on the last one, but the first two, they all passed away before World War I. And it makes you wonder, did they see those storm clouds gathering, right? Did they see, did they have any indication of what would happen a few short years after they were to pass away? And I stand here and I wonder what's in store for 2023, don't you? 2020 didn't turn out the way I expected, nor 21, and really even 22 was not maybe the greatest of years. It wasn't as bad as the previous two, but it certainly had some trials And I look ahead to 2023, and I wonder what is going to happen. And I'm reminded that I have very, 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 very little control over any of it. (laughs) I can't change the definition in a dictionary. I can buy and do own printed copies of dictionaries because I can't change those. little hint to those who have gotten rid of all their physical copies of books, probably not the best idea. And I can continue using words that are appropriate, continue trying to apply logic, but the idea that my vote's going to change anything or I'm going to vote for a politician is going to change anything, I'm finding less and less hope in that. So it leads me wondering, what institutions are going to stand? What are we going to do? And I come back to this body of believers. I come back to a local church. It's made up of saved individuals who come together to worship together, to interact together, to do life together, to share truth and testimony and the word of God to people. Because ultimately that's what we are, it's what we stand on, it's what we do. And so I want to spend a little bit of time, and I'm going to pick just today one specific area that I think we should focus on. And just because I like to say this very obviously, I hope, I'm, I'm not um, 
We're not going to discuss this topic today because this is something the church doesn't do at all. You with me? This is just encouragement to do more of it. And what I chose to talk about today has been something that's been on my heart and mind for really um, quite a while, um, over a month or two. And that's the idea of fellowship. We use that word quite a bit, probably a word that's fallen out of fashion to some degree in larger culture, but maybe it's more of a churchy word that we still use uh, quite a bit. Fellowship is the idea that we're going to um, share something in common, we're going to commune with each other, we're going to be with each other. And I think this is a very, very, very important, very critical aspect of believers, that we're to fellowship, we're to be together, we're to spend time together, we're to have things that are in common, we're to have a unity about us, we're to have a purpose and a, and a drive to do things together. I think this is borne out in the Scripture, both in, in what the Scripture tells us we are to do, but both in how the Scripture displays what went on. At the risk of giving away the ending, I'll go ahead and start with this interesting question. Why did Jesus select disciples? I mean, let's be honest, he had no need of them, am I right? Could he have fulfilled his purpose without them? Absolutely. Why were there 12 and not 15 or 8 or 2 or 1? The thing I want us to continue to remember as we delve into this topic of fellowship is that these things were done on purpose. They were done, I think, because we've talked about how Jesus was both fully man and fully God, that Christ needed the fellowship of other people from his earthly perspective. Does that make sense? Just like when God made man and woman, or initially made man in the garden, you would think that open access to God is all that man needed. But man needed what? A partner, a helpmeet, someone to fellowship with, even though he had uninterrupted access to God. And so God created a woman and brought those two together that they might fellowship together, exclusively together, to have children, to raise a family, to enjoy each other's company. And we see this all down through history. And so over and over again in the scripture, we say it's not good for someone to be alone, to be excluded from something else, but we are to be doing life together to make it just trying to make it abundantly clear. We are to be engaged with each other. We are to be fellowshipping with each other. And it's vitally important that we do that with other people who share the same goals and desires and beliefs. And if we're looking for those who share the same goals, desires, and beliefs, then we must find those who believe the same thing we do. That the Scripture is the Word of God. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He died for our sins. That there is a way of salvation. That we are to know God and to be known by God. That we are to live according to Him. All the doctrines that are set down in the Scriptures. These are things that we come together around and are unified around even though we are different people. And we fellowship with each other. This Christian fellowship is something that's important. It's something deeper and more important than what the world can provide. I've heard several of you say you feel closer to some people here than you do your own blood relatives. There's a reason for that in some cases. It's not discounting our family, but it's saying that 
The relationship and the fellowship that we have is vitally important to who we are, and God intended it to be this way. I'm going to read quite a few scriptures today. I'll try and call them out so you can keep up if you'd like to. I want to start with Philippians 2, 1 through 2. It says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. See, we are called to be like-minded, to, have, to be one in spirit and in purpose. And you know what? If we all go our separate ways and we all live our separate lives and we only come together for one or two hours a week, will we be like-minded? Not as much as if we're doing life together. Oh, we can be like-minded. We can have a shared vision as a church, as a body of believers, as Taylor's Chapel. We can say, this is where we think we ought to go, and we ought to be able to say those things. But we should be spending time together, fellowshipping one together so that we can share this life's journey. We need to agree with one another. To be united in purpose, we need to serve alongside each other. And that includes serving each other. Again, God made it this way. I believe He knew we were creatures, animals, to be like Him who needed each other. John 17 and 23. Christ's prayer over us, the future believers. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. Jesus Christ, as he's getting ready to depart, as he's getting ready to be crucified, prays over the the current believers and future believers. That includes us. And in that prayer, he says the most amazing and fundamental thing, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. It's always fun to look at other translation. So I have a whole bunch of different versions of that. So that perfectly one phrase has been translated perfectly one, complete unity, perfectly united, perfect in one, perfected in unity, perfected and completed, and perfectly one. I believe that it's this idea that as we become more like Jesus Christ, as we become more like him, and follow after Him, we together, those of us who follow after Him, will be more perfectly united as one. It's not an end goal. I mean, it is something we strive after, but there is no mastery of it. We spend our entire lives trying to be more like Him. And as we all individually become more like Him, we become more like one another together. And so this should be the goal that we have, is the fellowship we have to be more like Him. And when we all share that same goal, we all become perfected or perfectly into one. doesn't really sound optional, does it? Let me read it again, see if it sounds optional. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them as you love me. This isn't an option. This isn't an opportunity where we say, you know what? Um, Yeah, I'm just going to do my own thing, and I'm not going to 
talk with other people. I'm not going to fellowship with other believers. I can just do this on my own. I can do this alone. No, I think that's the wrong way to go. I think we should go the other direction. I think the scripture clearly tells us that we should be fellowshipping with other believers so that we can grow to be one. We are to fellowship with others. It's very important. 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. See, we are to proclaim what God has shown us in our lives to other people so that we can fellowship together with this, so that we can enjoy the company of each other. And true and honest and good fellowship occurs within the body of believers because, again, we are united around a common belief, a common purpose, a common goal. And our hearts and minds should be set on Him. We see this very clearly in the early church. Turn to Acts chapter 2. I have a strong feeling we're going to be here quite a bit the next few weeks. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And we see that the early church took this notion of fellowship very, very similar. And you can step back and say, well, this is probably because, you know, at least you can think about this and rightfully so think about it this way. These are a, this is a new religion. This isn't just changing the Hebrew faith a little bit. It's something new. It's worshiping Jesus Christ as we ought to. And so you can imagine that all the Jews were like, no, 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 this is, you're crazy. This doesn't make any sense. You go your own ways. And so all the Christians were like, okay, we're going to hang out together. But if you go back to how I opened We're getting closer to that today, aren't we? Further and further away from, quote unquote, a Christian culture, and we're moving to whatever we're moving to, and it's time that we as believers unite together. It's not that we completely withdraw from the world entirely. That is impossible to do. But it's time that we support each other and love each other and fellowship with each other more and more and more. It's absolutely essential. The early church did it, and we should follow after them as well. They continually and faithfully devoted themselves to a number of things, one of which is fellowship, continuously and faithfully. We also see later on that they said they praised God and had favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily that that should be saved. And again, we have this reminder that our fellowship with each other, when people walk in this church, and they do frequently and comment, this is how I remember church, or it's obvious that you all love each other, or this is what I want. This is how we share with the world who we are, is by the fellowship and love that we have for Him and one another. It's one of the marks of a church that is good and growing. And I'll be honest with you, as I said in the opening, this is a mark of our church. We're doing well. My point is, let's do better. Continual devotion to these ideas. That is what will bring people in to hear the word. That is what will help us get the message out there. 
The reality is we are on this journey together. We are going through life together, and we should be together in everything that we do. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sins. Brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you have been saved, then you should be fellowshipping with a group of other people who are going to walk through life and believe the same thing you do. We're reminded of the great proverb that iron sharpens iron. This idea that we're going to rub two things together and both of them are going to benefit. It's not always pleasant. Not always what you want to do but it makes both things better. There's mutual benefit to that. Now listen, if you take uh, an iron knife or something that's supposed to be sharp and you rub the two things together, both of them become sharper. A dull knife is still a knife, but it's not as effective, is it? And if you know anybody, and we have a few who've worked a lot with knives, it's the dull ones that get you cut more, aren't they? It's the sharp ones that are effective. And appropriately used. Brothers and sisters, are you dull or are you sharp? When we live together, when we work together, when we worship together, when we fellowship together, when we do these things together, we keep each other sharp and we keep each other ready for the ministry, ready to share with the world, to demonstrate and to communicate with the world the things that it's dying to hear. It's vitally important that we do these things, even when it's unpleasant. So what are we going to do? I'm glad you asked. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 gives us some idea. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Boy, is that a good summary, isn't it? Let us consider. You know what it takes to be considerate? Time, patience, thoughtfulness. If I want to consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works... If I want to consider how we should not neglect the fellowship together, if I want to consider how I can make sure that I have a strong relationship and bond with anyone here or anyone outside this building, I have to be thoughtful and intentional about it. It's very, very easy for us to get on the path of life and to just do the same thing every day over and over and over again without being intentional and thoughtful and considerate of what it is that we're doing. So when we consider getting together, when we consider fellowshipping with each other, we must really think about it. And sometimes it's going to take effort to do that. How do we stir each other up with love and good works? Not neglecting to meet together, but encourage one another. And here it comes, all the more as you see the day drawing near. What did I tell you at the beginning? The day is probably getting near, and I guarantee you the need is drawing closer. The need for us to be different and distinct among a group of people in this world has never been more clear in my life than I think it is right now. 
We should be spending more time together. We should be exhorting, empowering, praying, admonishing. That's the iron sharpens iron part. Sharing God's word, praying together, and addressing the needs of our church as much as possible. Let me run through a few times that the word or the phrase one another is used in the scriptures. You may not be able to catch all this. You have to listen later. Romans 12.10 says to be devoted to one another. Devoted to one another. Are Are you devoted to your fellow Christian? Are we devoted to each other? The same verse says to honor one another. Well, that takes effort too, doesn't it? Do we have to honor only the ones we like? Uh-oh. We have to honor even those that maybe aren't our best friends. And it's okay to not have everyone be your best friend. That's not what this is about. Romans twelve sixteen says we are to live in harmony with one another. Again, you're not going to have everyone in this church be your best friend. That's not the point. But do we all have to be in harmony? Yes. Scripture tells us to. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another. Galatians 5.13, serve one another in love. When was the last time we sat down and thought about how to serve our brother or sister in Christ? When was the last time we sat down and thought about how to do this with a need? And maybe for many of you, that answer is very recently because of what? Because of Christmas. And so it brings to mind this idea that we're going to give gifts and write cards and letters and do encouraging things. And that's good. But let's just not do it once a year. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Colossians 3.16, uh-oh, admonish one another. Now, no one likes it when we come in and say, you know, maybe you should think about doing this differently. But that can be really helpful and absolutely necessary. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another. Hebrews 10, 24, that I read a moment ago, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. 1 Peter 4 and 9, offer hospitality. 1 Peter 1 and 22, love one another. These are all things that we should be doing. We should be thoughtful. We should be considerate. And we should be engaged in doing these acts toward one another. Now, when should we do it? Sunday morning at 10 o'clock? Yes. What about Sunday school? Yes. What about Sunday evening? What about Wednesday nights? What about during our church lunch and potlucks? It's easier to say yes to that one, isn't it? What about the other events and services that we have? Yes. What about when we text each other? Or call each other? What about how we use social media to encourage each other? What about when we share meals together? What about when we celebrate the good and great things that happen among us, as we should, but probably don't do very well? What about when we mourn with other people? And we should do that. What about when we work together to accomplish a goal? How often should we do these things? Continuously, faithfully, and until when? Until it's perfected. 
So that means that we should continue coming to Bible studies and Sunday schools and Wednesday nights until what? Until it's perfected. And how long is that going to take? Forever. It also means we should continue coming to the potlucks until what? Until everyone gets their recipe just right. (laughs) But let us not neglect the other important aspects of being together either. It's okay, I love it, that we come together and do some fun things. I love that we come together and eat. All of those things are important, but let us not forget to admonish each other, to encourage each other, to compel each other, to love each other, to live in harmony with each other. All of these things need to occur. And I want to take just a minute and talk about a disastrous mindset that many of us have, and I'm going to include myself with this. You ready for it? I have two phrases I wrote here. I don't want to bother anybody. And the other phrase is, I can do it on my own. Does sound familiar to anybody? I don't want to bother anybody, and I can do it on my own. When I was very young, let's say around the time, 6th, 7th grade, somewhere in there, I went to a larger church. Church could seat around 1,300, 1,400 people, I believe, had a balcony. It was was big. And one of the pastors called me, or I guess called my mom, and asked if I could come help him. I don't know, Saturday afternoon, something like that. And he had a project he wanted help with. So she dropped me off at church. And the youth group that I wasn't in yet was going to do this little skip play, and they wanted a lights set up, and specifically needed a spotlight, not a floodlight, but a very spotted light. And so this pastor wanted my help with that project to figure out how to make this light work. Now, here's, here's the thing. He had a degree, I think, in television production from a really good school, and he was perfectly healthy and could have turned the light on and like run down to the stage and gone back up and moved it back and forth, right? Did he need me? No. He didn't need me at all. I had no idea what I was doing. But he wanted me there. You catch the difference? He could have done every bit of that on his own and probably got a little exercise in, running up and down the balcony, going back and forth and back and forth, trying to make it work. But he did what? He wanted me to be involved. And I can tell you that that man, from that day forward, lived into my life in the most incredible ways and changed the course of my future. But it wasn't because he needed me is because he wanted my company. Do you see the difference? How many times in our lives do we say correctly, I don't need help, or I don't want to bother anyone, when in fact we should be doing the very opposite? That's one of the main points I want to stress for us today. This mindset is disastrous to us and is causing us to not have fellowship with each other. So I debated doing this, but I'm going to get personal for a minute. You ready? Brother Mike, I am well aware that you can fix the fence 
and dig a ditch without me. But I'd like to be there. Angel, Spring, Amy, all of our teachers, I know you can grade all those papers and review all the work on your own, but I'd be happy to help. I know John Michael can almost load all the cows successfully, for those who heard that story. But why would you do that by yourself? Helen and so many others can make beautiful cakes and desserts. Why wouldn't you ask someone to help you? I'm not saying you need it, but maybe it would be beneficial. Pat, I know you can get communion together, but why not ask somebody to help? Emily, I know you can do everything on your own, but why not let us come and help? Vivian, I know you teach really well, but you don't always have to ask for help when you feel like you can't handle it. Now, I'm not really being mean to any one of you individually. Oh, I had a few more, sorry. Maggie? We'd like to come to your performances. We'd like you to ask. Julie, we'd like to come see you play softball. You see, the point out of all this, and I could go on for a long time and I'm not going to. I've embarrassed some of you enough. The point out of all this is not to individually point you out and shame you. The point is we, as a body of believers, need to be engaged in fellowship with each other even when we don't need the help or even when we can do it on our own. We need to be about engaging other believers to join us in the things that we do. If we continue to assume that everyone else is busy and that we can do it on our own, we will be, watch this, all together alone. This is how we're living our society right now. We're all together alone. I sit and do my own thing alone, even with other people around. And brothers and sisters, it isn't made this way. It isn't supposed to be this way. We are supposed to be with each other. Jeff Maxey had no need of my help to set up a a spotlight, but it changed my life. Who do you need to ask to come be with you when you do something? Who do you need to ask and engage to come be with you? Who do you need to call and say, let's just go have lunch? Who do you just need to call? Who do you need to write a letter to? Who do you need to come over and say, hey, we're having something at the church next week. Come, let's bake cakes together. Come, let's set up the room together. Come, let's do these things together. Let us stop assuming that others are busy. As I mentioned, Jesus Christ could have done it all alone. He didn't need the disciples. He didn't need a bunch of stubborn men, some of whom weren't very smart, 
who would argue about who was going to be the best in the kingdom, who would get it wrong over and over again, who couldn't even walk on water, who would betray him, who would disappoint him, who would frustrate him when he looks at him time and time again and says, oh, have you not learned? But he wanted them. And brothers and sisters, we in the same way should want each other, even if we don't need them. So just to help some of us out, y'all can adopt this language if you want to. This is free advice. Sometimes we need help. You with me? Sometimes we want company and fellowship. Let's make sure we make that distinction clear. If I need help, then let me tell you I need something. And if I want you to come around and fellowship with me with whatever project I'm working on, then let's say I would like some company while I do X. And let us not feel bad about responding. Brother, sister, I I can't do it Tuesday. I know you need help. Let's find someone who can help you. Or do you need this or do you just want me there? Because if you want me there, I can come Thursday. The point of all this is we must engage together. We must fellowship more with each other. If we want to be unified, if we want to thoughtfully consider how to stir one another up, if we want to be the hands and the feet that God intends for us to be, if we want to be the church that people come to and say, there are those people who believe in God who are different than the rest of society. If we want to look around at the world and say, look, it's literally going to hell. We can't even decide what the definition of a woman is. But these people right here love each other and take care of each other and spend time with each other in a way I don't see anywhere else. That is what the marker of true love for each other and a love for Christ is. And so let us never think that someone else is too busy to call or to have lunch with or to ask for help or to ask for time just to be together. But let us engage with each other. Let us be honest and open about it. And let us seek to help each other. The point of all this is to remember that God doesn't need us. He wants us. I talked about Jesus Christ, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. Why Adam and Eve? Why? Why did God come down to Adam and say, I'm going to see what you name everything? Do you think God was incapable of naming the animals? He wanted that relationship. And he wants that relationship with you today. It's no different. Do you think God doesn't know at the end of the day when you say a prayer what you did that day? Of course he knows. Then why would you tell him? Because he wants you to talk with him. Do you think he needs you to go out and share the gospel? Even the rocks and stones will cry out, the Bible says. But he wants us to do it. And so listen to the words that I'm saying today. Fellowship is vitally important to what the church is. It is one of the primary ways that we show a lost and dying world who God is and why he loves us and why he wants to interact with us. And we should be fellowshipping with each other because it is the model that Jesus Christ laid out. And it is what we are ordered and instructed to do. So let us continue to do that. Let us be thoughtful about how we do that. Let us strive to do as we should. In them and I in you, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. And brothers and sisters, let me remind you of this. For those of you who do not know him, those of you who've never been saved, those of you who have never come to a point in your life when God has told you who in fact you are, that you have felt the condemnation that you rightfully deserve, that have come before God and begged for forgiveness, put your faith in Him and received it, and been made a new creature and given the new name and been given the gift of salvation and restored fellowship with Him. If you've never experienced that, God wants that with you. He sent his son to die to have that with you. Why? Because does he need you? No. But he wants you. And when we think about the very definition of love, is that not the greatest definition there is? I did nothing to earn my salvation. I do nothing to earn the fact that every day God will listen to me all day long, whatever I speak to him. I've done nothing to earn his favor, and yet he gives it to me time and time again, and he wants me to fellowship with him. Why? I don't know. But it's the most amazing, beautiful thing that there is. And the most amazing part about that is, is he does it perfectly. He loves me and he loves you and he wants to talk with you he wants you to talk with him he wants to spend time with you and he wants us to spend time with him even though we don't deserve it even though we think we're doing something or maybe we don't think we're doing something important God desires us he desires you And so as we come to a close, I want you to consider if you've never experienced God's grace and he's speaking to you today, then speak back. Because he's doing it because he wants you to know him. Because he loves you, because he cares about you unconditionally, without reason, without merit, without favor. And for those of us who know the loving embrace of a God, those of us who have met him and know him and he knows us, then let us consider how we can stir each other up, how we can focus on loving each other. Let us stop giving excuses while they're busy. I don't want to ask them or I don't need the help. I don't need a lot of help with anything. But I should still ask for a company at the least. And for those of us who have a few years on, And I had to do better at this too. Let's not forget to fellowship with those who are younger. Let's teach them. Let's show them firsthand. Maybe I don't need help with vacation Bible school this year, but you know, you never taught a class. Why don't you help me? I don't need help making the cakes for the church fellowship, but maybe you should come and help. Oh, we can set up for the event just fine, but let's have someone. Let's love each other. Let's fellowship with each other in all that we do. Brother Bruce.